0: Good morning, good morning, good morning, good afternoon, good afternoon, good afternoon, and good evening, good evening, good evening, should any of those or none apply. And should you find yourself in a time between one of those times, fear not, this message is still for you. The great thing about the DC Comics News Spinner Rack is that each and every week, it appears without a time designation. You can find it somewhere beyond time. Somewhere close to the imagination, and when you do, well, that's your chance to join me as I go through what I believe are the top five books published each and every week from DC Comics. This is the DC Comics News Spinner Rack, episode number 15. I'm your host, Seth Singleton. Let's get started, shall we? And I'm going to start things off with Martian Manhunter, number six. This is a maxi-series that is only midway through its run, and already I'm not sure if I'm embarrassed or just a little bit self-conscious about the fact that every time this book comes out, it gets featured on the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. I absolutely love what Steve Orlando has been doing with the story and the development of a character that I absolutely love and the way that Riley Rosmo draws not only the Martian Manhunter, but two different perceptions of two different worlds. The way that Earth appears with its muted colors, and the way that Mars is so absolutely vibrant. I continue to make comparisons to some of my favorite books that did the same, like Green Lantern Mosaic and so many others that use color in such a brilliant way what i love about this story is that it continues to introduce just who john johns was who the martian manhunter was before he left mars which is generally the the moment when his story picks up for most of us as readers and in regards as i've always known it the understanding of his origin has always begun from the moment when he was taken from mars and brought here And this story does so much more, and I absolutely love it for continuing to do so. Let's move right into what I love about this story, because there's just so much to say. The first thing that comes to mind is the fact that there's a process going on in which two stories have been told, one about John, John's the detective, and his struggling with a partner, and also with a very challenging crime one that he hopes he can solve now while that's going on he's also having flashbacks to his time on mars a time when john johns was not the upstanding and upright individual that he's always presented when he's here on earth john johns when he lived on mars was actually a very corrupt uh, law officer and because of this he created a lot of tension with his family and with his uh, own natural environment during a time in which an, a major plague is threatening all the people. I've spoken before about Haran curse, but in this issue, we get a chance to actually see just how severe it is and how much damage it's doing. And what I love about this story is that right in the middle of it, we see that John's loyalties to his family have strained to a point that they are struggling to trust him. His own wife, who's felt closed off by the secrets John has kept from their shared conscience, something that Martians are aware of, but that he blamed on a need to quarantine their thoughts to protect them from Haranmir's curse, and how all of his plans, that he believed he was doing all of these things for them, and sacrificing for them, comes up against the wall of reality when he thinks it's time to execute his plan. What I also love is at the same time, he's recognizing that this weakness that he was unwilling to confront in the past and the damage it caused is what's forcing him now to reach out to his new partner and find a way for both of them to solve this case together. And the art in this issue is simply top-notch. I absolutely love the just vibrant orange and uh, shades of color that are matched up against it and then how in moments when there's an interior shot how those colors can become so soft and muted but especially in this this very challenging issue this issue in which so much has come to a crux these really difficult reds and oranges they make it feel like everything's on fire even when it hasn't actually ignited yet. And then when it does catch fire, it's as though it seems to lend an additional brilliance. It opens with a beautiful, beautiful splash page that introduces this idea of the title, We Plan Escape, and how through it, this sort of orange-red tinge overshadows all of John's actions and leaves a very heavy impression that this was a, a, a memory that's been burned into his consciousness and one that he will never forget, especially the way it's portrayed here in these pages. I struggled to find any weak moments, any less than desirable elements of story or art in this book. And I'm going to be honest, I actually came across one. It's true, and it was only on the story side. And simply put, there was a moment when John is faced with the decisions he's made and the consequences that have come with them. And the reasoning behind why those who were making him jump through so many hoops in order to accomplish their goals felt that they could defend their actions or justify all of this treatment by saying that they simply wanted to take someone who is noble and idyllic or idealistic like John and break him to show him that there was nothing in the world that was real and that all of his greatness was paltry when compared to the things he's willing to do for a family that now, based on what he's done, no longer wants him. Given that this somewhat leads to their own destruction, I was somewhat surprised that there was such a a selfish tone and there seemed to be a lack of conviction in this idea that criminals would feel so good about taking down a law officer even if it means that they die in the process of watching him suffer. I'm sure there must have been some form of joy and yet I've always thought of criminals as a superstitious cowardly lot and given that they had access to what was part of his big plan to escape I wondered why it was that they wouldn't all Turn on each other in a rat sinking ship fashion, and after having destroyed him, take his plan to escape and save themselves. And yet, instead, they're content to suffer and die, knowing that in the process, they've destroyed what you know, either a great man or someone who believed that they were a great man. And really, that weakness was not enough to take more away from this story than this story gave me which is why it was so easy for me to give this story a 4.5 out of 5 and while that's my score the fun part is hearing yours listen for the end for all the ways that you can let us know what your score was for Martian Manhunter number six all of the books I'm going to list today and also any books you think deserve to be on the spinner rack instead of the five I've chosen for this week for my second book on the DC Comics News spinner rack i'm gonna go ahead and move right into detective comics number 1006 i really enjoyed this story because it's a great moment to pick up after all of the chaos that has ensued since the arkham knight storyline came to a conclusion last issue and what i love about this issue is that it picks up with something that i think so appropriately ties to the title of this book Detective Comics, because this story opens with a mystery, and it involves not one, but two Gotham City detectives. One by the name of Jim Corrigan, who longtime readers will know is the human host of a supernatural crime fighter known as the Spectre. And what's happened here is a mystery. That Corrigan and his partner Martinez were working to solve, and now Martinez is dead, the murder is still unsolved, and Jim Corrigan has gone missing. Which means that a supernatural hand of vengeance, working on behalf of his definition of God, has sought out the greatest detective in the world in order to find the human host that he's no longer connected to. My favorite parts about this book have to do with a concept that shows what might be a rift in the spirit of vengeance known as the Spectre, or perhaps some sort of other manifestation of the spirit of vengeance, because a series of very creepy-looking versions of the Spectre are shown attacking someone, and then in the process making claims that they have to kill the human host but that the human host still lives and then specter and batman investigate the scene where Corgan's body is missing and only the dead bodies of martinez and another unknown victim can be viewed studied and searched for clues i love a great mystery and i love the fact that in this story the specter who should be, in some ways, all-knowing, all-powerful, is actually limited in his role and in his scope. And when it comes to solving a mystery, even the Spectre knows that when you need a great detective, go to the world's greatest. Get Batman. I thought Batman is beautifully drawn here. I love the story and the art. I love the way that the art represents the Spectre. I love the shimmering sheen of green, the sort of smoky mist that seems to travel with him, and the way that it takes a sinister turn as portrayed through these other specter-like figures who are causing such terrible harm. I also like that there's such a graphic nature to the violence that even Batman at one point states that someone has crossed a line, or that a line has been crossed. And I like that recognition. It's something that comes in the dialogue, but it comes through Batman's observation of the scene. And it also shows that he's studying just how much pleasure or glee is taken from uh, a scene or displayed at a scene by a criminal and how he uses this to point a finger at the specter and suggests that this issue of exacting vengeance should have a line and that when it's crossed that should be addressed and that there should be consequences of some kind or at least a recognition that can move forward in a positive way and this I think speaks to that moral code that Batman is always presenting and I really like the way that a visual moment in this story an artistic moment is what brings that out When it comes to the negative side of this story, I didn't really find any major issues for myself where I I thought, wow, uh, this is a problem for me. What I did find very interesting was this idea that there's this approach that the Spectre takes, which is so overpowering that the only way Batman seems able to communicate with the Spectre is to fight back in a way that forces the Spectre to stop his approach to reconsider how he's going about things, and to then change not only his perspective, but his tactic to allow the person he's talking with to see things from uh, a relatable perspective. At first, I struggled with this moment, and I thought it was more of a weakness. However, on a second and third viewing, I do feel that there's a value in showing that Batman has to break that sort of persistence on the part of the specter in order to get the specter to come down from such a high place and to see things not only from an earthly plane but to address the person that he's communicating with on a level that matches that person instead of trying to uh, speak down to them and honestly I just couldn't find a problem with any of the art side which is why I'm more than happy to give Detective Comics uh, 1006 a solid five out of five I thought this was a great book i thought it stood up in all the ways that i wanted it to i thought it offered all the well the attributes that i would expect from a story containing batman and the specter and what i love the most is that it opens with a great mystery i love a good mystery not always a murder mystery but a mystery nonetheless and i really enjoyed the way this one set things up which is why i was happy to give it a five out of five And why I'm more than happy to hear what your score was, how we match up, where we disagree. And also, any additional thoughts you want to share about my second choice, Detective Comics number 1006. And before we move on to our next book, we're going to take a quick break for a little bit of advertising to pay the bills. We'll be back with you in just a moment. Hey there, everybody! This is Josh Rayner, editor in chief of DC Comics News. Are you planning on heading to Wizard World Comic Con sometime this year? Well, we have a great deal for you. If you are planning to do so, you can get ten percent off your ticket purchase by using the code DC News at checkout. That's DC. N E W S at checkout to save 10% off your tickets for wizard world. And that's for any city that, uh, that they will be doing. So make sure you head over to www.wizardworld.com tickets and use the code DC news for 10% off. Hi everyone. I'm here to tell you about the DC comics news podcast here every week to talk everything. DC movies, TV comics, and everything in between. But don't just take my word for it. Here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News Podcast. It's audio justice. (laughs) No, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Regardless, you can catch us on every kind of podcast platform. Apple Podcasts. Google Play. Spotify. Stitcher. And everywhere you find great podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked. <laughs> no. Welcome back. Time to slide right into our third choice for the DC Comics new Spinner Rack. And for that third choice, I've gone ahead and chosen Batman Damned, issue number three. I really enjoyed this amazing story by Brian Azzarello, and I think his accompanying artist is a, a talented match, that this story offers up so many great things that I've really enjoyed. I was a little behind when Batman 1 and 2 came out, and honestly, I hesitated on digging in when they sold out so quickly at my stores that it was really difficult for me to get a copy of. And then... There was even more distraction with the uh, sort of controversy that came out over Issue 1 and some exposed human body parts that raised quite some concern and led to some reprinting. Which is a shame because for all of that, Batman Damned is actually a really compelling and, I think, beautiful story. I think it brings to light an idea of a Batman constantly working against an unseen force. And in so many ways up until now, that always seemed to be something that was related to crime, the nature of crime, the spirit of crime, the environment of crime that exists within Gotham. And yet in this story, as it's developing even now in this third book, Batman is, well, He's actually fighting against something that is supernatural. There are dark forces at work, which is always just one of those favorite lines for me to say. But one of my favorite parts about this story is the idea that there is a darkness that exists currently in the present storyline and the possibility that Batman has murdered his longtime nemesis, the Joker. And also that there was some sort of nefarious action that took place when Batman Bruce Wayne was still a child, and the enchantress came and sought him and made either a bond or a bargain, and that led, in this storyline, to the deaths of his parents and to all of these other sufferings that we experience him having right now. In the midst of all of this is his compatriot, John Constantine, who provides that unreliable narrator. Who can tell this story through the eyes of batman through the eyes of this story but also through the eyes of someone who's done and seen it all and really doesn't think most of us have a chance of actually getting out of this place we all live in a lot and the art by lee bermejo i hope i'm pronouncing that right is absolutely gorgeous it's really powerful the way the lines the way the shadows I love the design of Batman's costume. I love the creepy nature of trees and the way figures like Swamp Thing and Enchantress suddenly seem so much more menacing and treacherous than they did in previous incarnations or by previous artists. No detracting from the value and skill and quality of those other artists, but presented in this environment with this tone, I feel like uh, Bermejo really presents this feeling of doom and gloom and not in a way that feels like it's too much but it feels like something that I think all of us experience and face sometimes and I think that lends to that additional power of this book the fact that it feels so real so gritty so well so like some of our most difficult days and the idea that maybe all of us feel at times that we're working against some unseen force, makes it so easy to relate to this idea that, after all this time, maybe Batman really is working against something greater than himself. And if so, is he fighting an unwinnable battle? In this beautiful book, the art presents the possibility that everything has been aligned against him. And that only with help from the most unsavory of characters like John Constantine and the most enigmatic like the Swamp Thing does he have any hope of surviving. There's a possibility that maybe things will change for Batman, but also a chance that this could be, again, as in many other stories, this could be his final chapter. I didn't find many things in this book that I really struggled with or found to be uh, below par or below its quality on the art or story side. Overall, I really feel that this is a masterful tale, one that has been crafted so exquisitely in these first three books that in this third book I feel that so many of the things introduced beforehand are followed through and yet there's also this amazing sense of uncertainty, this recognition that what's going on here feels like it's something that is understandable or uh, that the reader can get a grasp on, and yet at the same time, just enough of it that feels like it's still intangible, still something that hasn't quite finalized or completed its form, and that until it does that, I and every other reader is going to be looking for that sort of conclusion, that finality, that that grasping of the understanding. And I probably could continue to say more about this book, but at the same time we've got to leave a little bit of time for books number four and five. Moving right along into book number four is Flash number 73, one that I have really been enjoying. I feel like This story about the first year of Barry Allen as The Flash, told by Joshua Williamson and Howard Porter, is one of those really important moments when characters that we think we know so well are shown at their earliest days in a different light. And through that, we're given a chance to reveal more than one layer of the character that we think we know and about things we need to know about this character as we move into the next stages of their upcoming story arcs, or in the development of their overall character as we've come to know them and as that can expand. In issue number 73, we open up with Barry Allen on the floor of his apartment with a bullet wound, wearing a very early version of his Flash outfit. And in order to admit to iris who's on the other side of the door asking for his help that he needs help he has to extract a bullet lodged near his heart by vibrating his hand into his body and removing the bullet without causing the explosion that has been the only result when he's tried to vibrate through matter during these early days as the flash the story picks up from here and once flash has solved the issue of the bullet and how to talk to iris he realizes that he needs to look ahead to that possible future that he's just returned from one in which the turtle is taking over central city and the flash has to find a way to do more than what his future self was able to accomplish against this unsuspecting villain so What I love about the story is that we see Barry dig into his CSI background. First, he makes contact with Turtle in Iron Heights, and then he replaces the board that he'd been using to solve his mother's murder to begin breaking down just who Turtle is. But it's through this that we also are given the chance to learn about the backstory of Turtle in this version of his character, and how after his accident, his family did their best to stay by his side and support him as he moved slower than the time around him. But then it's revealed that, despite all that, Turtle at one point made the choice to basically feed off of his family and use their life force to propel him forward, and that by doing so, he could achieve... His own personal desires, those that lay outside of the desires of caring for the family that cared for him. And I think this was a really important development because it shows that the desire for power is something that Turtle was willing to sacrifice his family for, which means that there probably isn't anything he isn't willing to sacrifice in that pursuit. And this is something that's important for Barry to understand so that he can eventually Find a way to come to some sort of uh, understanding about how he can counter the way that the turtle can draw his speed away from him and basically use a slowing down of time to so far render the flash relatively ineffective. I love the style of the art in this book. Um, I have to give as much credit as possible to, uh, well, to everybody who's involved with this one. I mean, Hi-Fi is the color, Steve Wan the letter, Porter and Hi-Fi do the cover. But really, I feel like this was just a a really well-drawn issue. I like the way that Barry and Iris come off as sort of young in their jeans and kind of wrinkled shirts or loose-fitting. Iris always running around with a backpack. And the idea that, that so much about what was going on at that time seemed so very fresh and also a little just disheveled and there's something enjoyable and human about that I also love the expressive uh, way that Barry and Iris interact and I think it's a really good balance on the art side from this sort of uh, exaggerated or over-the-top colorings that come from Turtle when he's using his power, and this sort of surge of green seems to fill the page. Now, on the negative side, I'm really confused about the idea of how it is that Barry's understanding of Turtle is helping him figure out how to defeat Turtle. Right now, I think he's doing a great job of understanding the motivations of Turtle, and how that can lead to understanding his thinking and and maybe his process and and ways that he can outthink him or think ahead or try and prepare for whatever turtle might be doing but i feel that there also has to be a component in this in which flash is able to recognize how to stop the turtle's power from doing all the damage it does when they do meet in iron heights clearly turtle has the advantage because he can sense the speed coming off barry whereas barry doesn't make any sort of recognition that he can sense the slow sort of power that used to come off of Turtle but it's now inhibited while he's in Iron Heights and I feel like this is something that's a key component something that's missing and something that I feel like maybe could have been raised in this book so that in the following parts of this story we would get the chance to sort of see how does Barry figure that out what exactly does he have to do in order to accomplish that and What's it going to mean for him to basically bring an end to the powers that Turtle is displaying by using either his understanding of them or his own powers in a different way that allows them to be effective where so far they simply haven't been? On the art side, my only real detraction from this book has to be that when the green from the power of Turtle is used it can sometimes feel just a bit much as though there's like a a green lantern effect going on one that starts to create this greenish hue around the entire page or panel and there's almost a distraction in that but it's just enough where i feel like it might be more about the discerning eye or it could just be a, a personal thing with me. But I feel that there are moments when the green seems to almost take over that page and in doing so it's harder for me to focus on the character, the dialogue, or the procession of action or development of events. And yet for all these things it was very easy for me to give this book a solid 4.5 out of 5. I feel like Flash uh, number 73 is continuing the important groundwork that's necessary when telling a year one story. And that despite some of the questions I raised in my negative or least desirable parts, that overall it's getting to that point. And I have faith in the uh, artists and the writers to find those missing pieces, fill in those blanks, as the story finishes developing and that when we come to our conclusion i have faith that most of those questions i've been raising will be answered and that any of those concerns that i might have about something being missed hopefully will be uh, assured but we'll have to check back in for issue number 74 and before we can do that we're going to have to get to my fifth book for this edition of the dc comics new spinner rack And for that fifth and final book, I've gone ahead and chosen Justice League Dark, issue number 12. And a story that I really have been enjoying through all of its pieces and pages, and one that I have to continue to give credit to my good friend, Mr. Steve J. Ray, for recommending this book to me, and the chance that I was given to review the first trade paperback, Volume 1 of Justice League Dark and how that's led me to continue to enjoy this amazing story as it reaches issue number 12. And essentially this has been a part of the story in which order and chaos have become conflicting forces that are now seeking to destroy each other and change the way magic for so long has been known on Earth and the future of magic moving forward. The biggest challenge that is facing the team is that the Lord of Order has decided that he's simply no longer going to find a uh, equal or balanced footing and that Order will simply remove all of the chaos and all of the magic and in doing so change the world forever. In order to defeat this, Wonder Woman and Zatanna have actually made the decision to accept chaos magic from Mordru and to use that to fight back against Nabu, who, at this very moment, is changing magical creatures into mundane ones, removing their memory. And this moves into one of my favorite moments to this story, which is where Nabu is confronted by a former assistant, Khalid, who expresses just an absolute shame and disappointment and a desire for this whole process to be over, so that Khalid no longer has to look at the sort of fall from grace that he believes he is witnessing Naboo participated. in. And that Naboo feels that Khalid has been loyal and faithful and he wants Khalid to be a part of this new future and yet based on what's going on Khalid doesn't want everything to do with it he essentially says if you want to erase magic from my mind then do it erase it take it all away from me i no longer wish to be a part of it if it's going to be something that has to involve you and this is when we get to see uh Wonder Woman, Satana and a few other operators of magic essentially when they arrive this magic is shared with uh, not only swamp thing but bobo the detective chimp as well as Manbat, and these new forces of chaos engage in this really fun battle with the forces of order and it's really beautifully done on the art side, which is so easy to transition to. I mean, the the way the panels are broken up, the way magic seems to not only change color and tone, but also to create all of these disjointed action panels and story panels that have more white on the page than they do actual panels at moments, and which also is this really great confusing introduction that reveals the appearance of Constantine and a few other familiar faces who confront Naboo at a crux and remove his helmet and disrupt what has been the known sort of established balance of chaos and order. I love the way the art presents this. I love the colors, the shadows, and the tones, and how this culmination of the art and story leads to a crucial moment, which is with Nabu down and a chance to change things completely. Just what will Justice League Dark and their leader, Wonder Woman, actually do? I think it's a really interesting sort of cliffhanger that sets up perfectly all the possibility that can exist for issue number 13 now that doesn't mean that there weren't a few moments where i might struggle with the story or art but overall i'm having a hard time remembering those and even as i flip through these beautiful pages talking about this book and looking for something that's going to stand out for me all i can find myself doing is recognizing all these beautiful parts that i really enjoyed and that I think you will too, which is why it's so easy for me to give Justice League number 12 a solid 5 out of 5. I thought this was one of the best books coming out this week, one of those stories that I continue to embrace. I have an amazing respect for James Tynan, whose name I am thankfully now able to pronounce correctly. Once again, thanks to the assistance of my good friend, Mr. Steve J. Ray. And I also feel that 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 amazing storytelling is so perfectly matched by the uh, pencils uh, by Alvaro Martinez Bueno and the amazing art team that accompanies them on this book. Five out of five was my score. The only question left is, what is yours? Remember, you can share that with us. All you have to do is listen to the following. When you're on social media, whatever your platform, leave me your score Tag it with at DC Comics News, and tag us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, or YouTube, whichever is your favorite platform. Let us know what you think about episode number 15 of the Spinner Rack, what your score was for this fifth book, or all five books, or if you have a score and a book that you think deserve to be on the Spinner Rack this week instead of the five that I've chosen. Now, when it comes to your listening preferences, we always like you to know that DC Comics News is available on all the major podcast platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. And if you haven't yet, head over, subscribe, and then rate and review. And if you've got a reason we're less than five stars, we want to hear it. Because we want to be five stars for each and every listener, and the only way we're going to be able to do that is by listening to you been my pleasure to join you this week for episode number 15 of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. I've been your host, Seth Singleton, and I'm going to invite you back to join me next week, just like each and every week, for episode number 16 of the Spinner Rack, and to see which five books I'm going to choose. Are they the same as you? You'll have to tune in to see if that's true. Looking forward to spending each and every episode with you, right here on the DC Comics News, Spinner Rack. And as always, read more comics.